Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sunday Mint, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Bilal Hankins. Hey, Bilal. Hey. This season's theme is parsing the particulars. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Theo Harris from Alembic, and we'll be diving into the particulars of onboarding into Elixir. Hey, Theo, how are you? I'm great. How are you two? Very good. We're having a very nice Thursday afternoon here, but you're having a very early Friday morning, yeah? <laughs> I sure am. It's 7 a.m. I've got my coffee with me, uh, bright and early for me. So, yeah. You have a beautiful flat white, I hope. Yes, I do, actually. In my yes. uh, CSS sucks mug. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never tasted coffee like the coffee I had when I went to Australia, and I didn't have taste buds because I was sick the whole time, but oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Our coffee is much better. (laughs) There's really nothing like it. I think the only experience I've had like that in my life was when I went to France and I was like, I've never had butter before. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Are you a a light roast or dark roast kind of person? I like a light roast. I kind of, I'm a bit of a coffee snob, to be honest. But I think a lot of Australians are because they come to America and they try the coffee and they're like, this isn't coffee. What is creamer? (laughs) cream (laughs) my first coffee experiences were also similarly in france and so i actually was able to drink all the coffee with just like one sugar cube and that was just like the perfect kind of hint of sweetness and i didn't do any cream any creamer but here uh yeah creamer all the way right now i'm in the cinnamon dolce latte one like i can't our coffee is just not is not there for me We've definitely got some some coffee connoisseurs at uh, Smart Logic, and if they listen to this episode, I'm sorry for telling you my creamer in this manner. I should have owned it up to you in person. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Theo, thank you so much for being with us and for having such an early morning. I know we're going to get into onboarding into Elixir. We had just talked about a, a hot take you had. Uh, please, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah, so... My hot tech take at the moment is that developers need to care more about accessibility, regardless of, you know, where in the tech stack you're working. I think it sort of trickles down to the user regardless. But in particular, things like colorblindness, because we were discussing something like 8% of the male population has colorblindness, which is a pretty significant amount. And when you're developing, especially on the front end, like I do, you need to take these things into consideration so that your UIs are actually practical to use for your end users. Yeah, and I was saying that that stat kind of seems ridiculous to me because that's so many more people than you think about. But I will say a lot of my guy friends are probably somewhat colorblind, although this is a debate I see color very differently too. But I took, I was an art major and I took all the color tests, literally all of them, passed all of them with flying colors. But the average tattoo on a person of lighter skin when the tattoo ink is black looks like forest green to me like oh, a dark green or seaweed wow green. seaweed green is what that looks like yeah that kind of sounds really nice though like if you've got like a black and white tattoo it's kind of like tealy green i can vibe with that i really just thought that actually for a majority of my life i thought that tattoo ink just had to be that color or that it looked like that once it was under your skin. And then later on in my life when colored and like koi fish tattoos and people were doing really cool things with shading and stuff, I was like, wait, if you have all of this color, why aren't you using black? And then, yeah, my boyfriend was like, Sunday, what 
what color do you think my tattoo is? And I was like, green. <laughs> he was like, it's not. <laughs> um, so, oh, you know, maybe what I see is questionable and maybe I could also benefit from the accessibility of the color stuff. I guess, do you have some favorite accessibility tips or tricks or tools that you use to help that go along better? Yeah, so I think something that really, really helps is just keeping your contrast as high as possible, regardless of the colors that you're using, because then even if people are sort of not seeing the colors as true to how they really are, they can still read sort of the the key information in your UI. And the other thing as well is there's a rule sort of in UI design. You don't use color as the only key indicator of something or some important information because that's bound to get misinterpreted by people with all across the spectrum of color blindness and color visibility. So yeah, you always need some kind of other indicator for important information. I also thought it was interesting when you said like everywhere in this deck should be focusing on accessibility because like accessibility I feel like is something that often gets lumped into like a front-end developer like things and like I can see how like on the back end it's like easy to just like forget about that. Yeah for sure and I think Phoenix Live View recently got some accessibility improvements with its like built-in modal wrap and everything like that but when you're working on kind of the back end even just like the structure how things are structured can really like inform how the front end ends up looking because your front end engineers are relying on your back end code to make something usable from the user. So yeah, I think like accessibility is a design concern that should be talked about as early as possible in the process. Cool. Yeah, it's always good to to keep that in mind. So you're calling in here from Australia and you are currently at Alembic. Do you want to give your company a shout out, kind of say what you do, what you do there? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm currently a technical consultant with Olympics. We're a consultancy in Australia. We do client work all around the world. We've had clients in America, for example, recently. But we specialize in building applications with Elixir, Phoenix, and LiveView and the Ash framework as well. We've got Zach, who is the maintainer of Ash, working with us, which we're very fortunate to have. And we also do some stuff with TypeScript as well. So yeah, kind of a variety of different projects in those tech stacks. Have you been working with Elixir before you worked at Olympic? No, actually. So I was previously a Microsoft 365 consultant. Uh, (laughs) So working with their kind of special brand of React, which is SPFX. And I picked up Elixir because I had some friends that graduated from bootcamp with me that ended up at Alembic and they were working with Elixir. I'm like, wow, this looks really cool. I kind of started doing some exorcisms and teaching myself Elixir. And then I, yeah, basically like asked Alembic if they were looking for engineers. I'm like, I really love Elixir. I would love to do this full time. And luckily they hired me on to do it full time. So that's currently what I do 40 hours a week, which is fantastic. I love those stories. They just make my heart full. So where were you when you first heard what Elixir was? And then I guess, what was the draw? What was the moment that clicked for you? So I was working, yeah, at a Microsoft 365 consultancy. I was about six months into being a professional developer. So I was like fresh and green out of boot camp. Bootcamp was fully object-oriented programming, so we had done Ruby as like our first language and then some JavaScript and React. 
So I sort of had that very object-oriented mindset. And then I saw two of my friends who had graduated from bootcamp with me speak at our local Elixir meetup. And I don't know, the syntax just fascinated me. It was nothing like I'd ever seen before. I was like, wow, this code is like really clean and readable. And the syntax is friendly like Ruby, but it looks so powerful. And I just kind of had to jump in and try it for myself because it looked really fun. And I fell in love with it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So we've got two boot camp grads in the house. Bilal, yeah? Boot camp. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Represent. <laughs> yeah, I also went to like a part-time boot camp. It's interesting like what they teach you at a boot camp. I know you have to do things pretty quickly and you have to go through a lot at once to kind of onboard into development in general. And then then on top of that, you go out in the world and you learn Elixir. And so this is an interesting question. I've had it's sort of at the forefront of my mind for a little bit now, maybe a little bit over a month. How do you think someone who is learning Elixir or learning a program for the first time can really have a robust understanding of what they're doing where it's a deeper knowledge instead of just a referential knowledge? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer because I think in my experience, you know, going through a boot camp and even sort, even sort of mentoring, I have a mentee now who has just graduated from a boot camp. Everyone learns best in very, very different ways. And I think you need to work out what works best for you. But then I would recommend not just learning to write Elixir, but looking at other people's Elixir code. Because the most benefit I've found in terms of having a deeper understanding is looking at the senior engineer's code at work and seeing how they maybe solve a problem in a different way to how I would first approach it. And their solutions tend to be more clean and robust and less prone to errors because they've just thought the problem through very logically and solved it with the tools that they have in the best way possible. Bilal, have you been kind of tackling things similarly? as a, a new to Elixir engineer? I feel like I'm I'm getting out of that referential knowledge. But um, yeah, just like, especially on this last project, it was like my first project working on Elixir. I feel like in the beginning, I was like kind of hesitant to reach out, but just like reaching out more to like our staff engineer, Lawrence, and like just seeing how, like I remember like we probably had like a 30-minute pairing session. You just showed me like all of the cool like, shortcuts and like stuff you can do in elixir that was good for like having context at that time yeah it's definitely helpful at different stages of your learning just at different stages of your learning to to incorporate different methods of learning um because i did very similar things i had a lot of pairing when i was first learning elixir i very heavily relied on looking at senior engineers code and i think that worked for me very well for like the first two, maybe three years of my learning Elixir. I think where I'm at now is I am actually craving a deeper knowledge of maybe not just how, but also why. Because what I want to know now is how do I come up with these solutions myself? How do I burn in these patterns that I'm seeing these senior engineers kind of do to get there? And I am now learning that. I've even on this podcast said multiple times that I'm not a person that learns well from books. But I am now kind of second guessing that. And I actually have three books open on my desk right now. <laughs> Elixir books, trying to get a better understanding of the how and the why. 
But I don't know, that feels great to kind of have bridged that particular gap. And it's all at your own pace to, it took me probably longer than most people would to get there, but I'm glad I have. And so the onboarding Elixir journey is is different, I think, for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really great that you've mentioned sort of um, that that approach worked for you for, you know, X amount of time, the first couple of years of your career. But now you're kind of switching tracks because I'm still in that first phase of my career, I guess. I've only been developing for just over a year professionally. So it's kind of good to know as a more junior engineer, these methods might sort of need to change over time for me to get the most out of them. So Theo, can you tell us a little bit of the process that you went through onboarding when you went through Olympics? You were already familiar with Elixir. What did that onboarding process look like? Yeah, so my onboarding process with Alembic was really, really interesting because I knew some very basic Elixir that I had taught myself just through using exorcisms and sort of uh, talking to my peers that were using the language. But onboarding itself was a full straight month of pairing one-on-one with our intern at the time who had no experience of Elixir, had just graduated from the same boot camp, so had an object-oriented background as well, no learning functional programming in her own time. She was completely fresh to this. And we actually built a project completely from scratch, which was the Wordle game that I demoed at ElixirConf this year. So it was just a month straight of pairing one-on-one and building something from scratch with the tech stack that we use for consulting, which was very, very intense. (laughs) So this is interesting. You're saying that you got paired with an intern, but you were the one. So you were learning by teaching like immediately. You didn't do that traditional pair with a senior, do that kind of onboarding situation for a few months or anything like that. You went into teaching Yeah, kind of. It was kind of uh, learning, yeah, learning by doing and then teaching straight away. One of my seniors at work the other day used a great analogy. He was like, I feel like we're in that episode of The Simpsons where Marge is teaching piano by learning one lesson ahead of her student. So yeah, you're kind of learning something and immediately imparting that knowledge onto someone else. And occasionally we'd have some of the senior engineers step in and be like, hey, how are you going? And they would kind of help unstick us from sort of some more sticky bugs, I guess. But for the most part, it was eight hours a day of pair programming with someone completely fresh to Elixir, which is a whole different experience. Very intense. What were some recent challenges that you can speak to as the Elixir engineer? I guess recently, once I sort of got the fundamentals down and I was put onto a real client project, we, as I mentioned, we're using the Ash framework at the moment in a lot of our client work. And that's a relatively young framework. So I think Zach, the maintainer, has been doing it for about two years or so now. Uh, 2.0 just launched, so it's now stable. And I have no knowledge of Ecto, which is what it's built on top of, and kind of got thrown in the deep end learning this framework and all of its ins and outs without sort of knowing a lot about what was going on underneath or maybe why it was designed in a certain way. So I think the real challenge there was picking up this knowledge super, super rapidly and applying it straight onto a client project. You know, you've probably heard the phrase move fast and break things. It was very much move fast and break things. It was very hectic, but I learned a lot rapidly in a very short amount of time. 
Awesome. Can you? Uh, I think we're both about to ask you if you could talk more to the Ash framework and what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For those not familiar with it, it's a framework that provides a set of tools for modeling and interacting with your resources. So resources can kind of be anything in Ash. It could be like an API or, you know, your entity model for uh, an account. Uh, but it kind of provides a lot of niceties around building those, declaring those models and working with them. It's got a ton of different sort of tooling and interactivity in different packages as well. So there's Phoenix-specific stuff and GraphQL-specific stuff. It's really nice. Just to illustrate this a little further, what does the end product look like with Ash? So the end product, you end up with this very clean declaration of a model and you kind of write actions for it. Everything is driven by actions in Ash. So you've got like an action to maybe create a new instance of a resource or get a resource by its ID. And those are all very clearly laid out in the resource itself. But then you've got things like Phoenix form helpers, for example. So when you're doing writing back to the database, it like links in directly to that resource in a very semantic and friendly way to make it as easy as possible for the developer to sort of look at what's happening and know instantly what's going on. And also very importantly, when 2.0 was released, Zach's wife gave him a cake that said, Happy Ash 2.0 release? Yes, it was very sweet. He posted it on our work Discord. I thought that was super, super wholesome. It Meredith was, is lovely as well. I got to hang out with her a bit. made yeah. me so hungry. Oh my God, I know. What a beautiful oh. cake. It was gorgeous. I'm just saying. Yeah, very exciting time. It was posted like a week before my birthday and dictated the flavor of my birthday cake. <laughs> oh, wow. It looks like basically I'm, an influencer now. I am very susceptible to advertising and they know it. The people know it. <laughs> well, happy Ash 2.0 release in the, in the year 2022 in which we're recording currently for anyone who's listening in the future. That's really cool. And then so your team or is just Zach or is your whole team going to Codebeam to kind of talk about their framework a little more? So I think it's actually just our technical director, Josh, mm -hmm. who you probably met at ElixirConf. And I think Zach is going as well. So it's just those two. They are both on their way to Codebeam at the moment, which is exciting. I know tons and tons of really great people are going to be there. So very excited for them. But you're not going, Theo? I'm not, unfortunately. I am here working on client projects. I think I got my fill with uh, ElixirConf earlier this year. You and I can start a club of FOMO because I'm very sad. I'm seeing <laughs> tweets about Codebeam left, right, and center right now. And so I think this episode will actually go up after Codebeam, but um, it's brutal out here. <laughs> I know. And Amos is going to be there. I'm so sad I don't get to hang out with him again. Yeah. Yes. Always, always, always. Well... I'm happy to rest, though, and I'm actually taking this. It's just nicer to when you're able to concentrate on a few things at a time. And so conference travel was a thing for me for a little bit. And now we're currently at Sprawlogic having a, a professional development day. And Bilal and I have been learning a little bit more about Ecto today, which is funny when you were like, oh, I didn't know too much about Ecto before. And, <laughs> you know, reading the books today, I didn't really feel like I knew too much of it before this year either, which is, it's funny, you can just use a thing and not really fully understand it. So it's been interesting, an interesting time. Wow. Yeah. 
Speaking of those kinds of earlier concepts, were there any particular concepts that were easy for you to grasp when you were first onboarding to Elixir versus something that took you a little bit longer, like Ecto did for me? Yeah, for sure. So I think I picked up pattern matching straight away. My uh, interview with Alembic was actually an exorcism around pattern matching. So I, I grabbed that straight away. And I think being able to relate it back to something like destructuring in JavaScript is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like maybe immutability, I think, was something that took me longer to understand. And I still struggle to explain immutability to new developers coming into Elixir who haven't had that experience with immutability before. I find the best way to sort of explain that is through practical examples, but it definitely took me longer to grasp something like that than maybe other developers who, you know, have a bit of a functional background and maybe have experienced immutability before. And it's interesting because the intern I was working with really struggled to grasp pattern matching. So I think it's very different for different people. Did your intern start in like the JavaScript React component kind of world? Yeah, so she did the same bootcamp as I did. So she started with Ruby and then moved on to JavaScript and React through that bootcamp program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bilal, you did some React too, right? Yeah, like I feel like pattern matching was kind of something that like, I want to say click, but it, like, you know, when you when you buckle the seatbelt and then it kind of goes in, then, then it clicks, you know? <laughs> There's the analogy. (laughs) And everyone knows what that is like. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, I really appreciated that part, like, coming from a JavaScript background. And like you said, like, not having that functional background like a lot of other people do. Because my my bootcamp was fully uh, JavaScript. Only JavaScript? Yeah. Yeah. JavaScript. And then, uh, essentially, they let us wild the last four weeks to choose whatever frameworks and whatnot. And that's where I'm like, I chose GraphQL. But other than that, it was all JavaScript or TypeScript too, but JavaScript. TypeScript is just a flavor of JavaScript at the end of the day. And now I want ice cream. <laughs> uh, we really shouldn't record at the end of the day, we'll all. I feel like that's where all the food content <laughs> comes from. <laughs> I mean, I haven't had breakfast yet, so I'm also hungry. I relate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to revisit the, I'm not just psychic and, and pointed out that you've got a flat white. When I was in Sydney, I visited for about a week, maybe seven, eight days. I had a flat white every day. I had heard, I had heard they were good. And I was like, well, how good could it be? And, and really, I did truly <laughs> just fall in. Oh, yeah. Coffee is like a whole other dimension here. It's There's a rabbit hole and you just keep going down it. Yeah. And I actually had never had so many options for different kinds of Asian food in Sydney as I'd seen, like even in New York, it it rivals even New York. I mean, I actually, like I said, I got sick while I was there and I found my, like, I don't eat chicken noodle soup when I get sick. That's very plainly American. I am American, but I'm also Burmese. And so like what I eat is a rice porridge, which is like a chicken bone broth boiled down with rice. And it's really just that, but ginger for the anti-inflammatory and and just like pepper if you're feeling up to it. But I would not find that here where I am in Baltimore. I mean, maybe, but I wouldn't really find that and I have to make it myself. But, you know, I was in a hotel, but like seven restaurants around the corner from my hotel would sell it. And I was fine. It was like the best. I don't know. I remember the food very well for being sick the entire time. (laughs) 
Wow. That's quite the memory to have for an overseas trip. I mean, I get it. I was a bit crook when I was at ElixirConf and I'm like, mm, my memories are uh, coffee with a lot of creamer and anti-inflammatory drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> at ElixirConf, we were in the middle of nowhere too, just like, or, you know, in the middle of a, a resort that was on a plot of land that was not surrounded by much. So it's a, an interesting, different experience, but kind of all around... It's a good time when you're with Elixirist, at least. I yeah, enjoyed absolutely. myself a lot. Yes, <laughs> it was a fun time. Excited for next year. So thinking back a little bit to what resources are available now to an Elixir engineer versus like where you were even a year ago or two years ago, is there anything you would recommend similarly or differently to somebody who was learning Elixir in Phoenix for the first time today? Yeah, so I have to give a huge shout out to Brooklyn Myers here, who you had on the show, I think, a couple of months ago. Dockyard Academy is looking absolutely fantastic. I've been keeping up with the beta curriculum, and I think that's going to be the way to learn Elixir. Now that that's sort of, they're taking their first cohort at the moment. I got the email notification the other day, I think. That's going to be the way to learn Elixir, I honestly think. And what they've done there with Livebook is so incredibly impressive, building an entire curriculum with Livebook. It's just a fantastic use of the tooling. So if I could go back and learn Elixir that way, I would totally do it that way. Uh, they've got everything you could ever want. Is it weird that I want to do that even though I know it? Like I still, like I have FOMO no, or something. I, do I don't too. know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. And it's like, it covers things like Git and like the command line and stuff. And I'm like, I know all this. I use this every day. I still want to do it because it's just so appealing the way that they've put it out. Mm -hmm. Nice and easy to read with like exercises. I'm like, Mwah, chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Shout out, Brooklyn. You've done a great job. Or we haven't even seen it and we know you've done a great job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that would be my go-to. But the other thing that everyone at work has kind of used as sort of onboarding tool, I guess, is the Pragmatic Studios Phoenix Live View course. It's not quite up to date with the latest, like obviously the ecosystem is moving super, super rapidly, but they cover a lot of the concepts, like how plugs work in great detail, which I found really good for a fundamental understanding. That is something I feel like we, we generally don't cover. Like, I don't think I could give you a definition right off the top of my head right now. I've been able to use it. This is what I was saying about like this referential knowledge versus like a deeper knowledge, which always makes me wonder, like, how do we get there? We want to give people we're passing the torch to, you know, we want you to learn Elixir. We want you to come into Elixir. And then we're just like, okay, here's some reference tools to kind of get it a little bit and function with it, but maybe not understand it. So it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of you make sense to kind of talk about plugs. I think the equivalent a few years ago might've been talking about channels. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. Bilal, have we ever said the word channels yeah. in front of you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you for giving us that credit. <laughs> it was very believable. <laughs> okay, I, I did really, you know, not quite on subject, but I had to notice that your Twitter handle is DinoCoder. Or DinoCoder, I guess, however you want to pronounce that. Yeah, but I, I also... Yeah. wanted to know if you have a pet dinosaur because it kind of looked like you did and kind are of. they related um so yeah well sort of so dino coder i had that handle before i ever had a pet dinosaur 
We had an intro talk when we started boot camp about personal branding. And I'm like, I really like dinosaurs. There was like a pun with my name at the time. So like Theosaurus is what I go by on a lot of <laughs> platforms. And I'm like, okay, yeah. let's let's lean into the dinosaur theme. So yeah, Dino Coder became my handle. But I do now have a pet lizard. His name is Diego. He's very grumpy. There are lots He's of pics on Twitter if dinosaur. people want to see him. He's very grumpy. I think I was talking to someone at ElixirConf. I can't remember who. Jenny Bramble. I was talking to at ElixirConf and I showed her a photo and she said, oh, he has resting lizard face. <laughs> uh, resting uh, lizard face. Yes. Very grouchy. I remember there was like a, some, like an elementary school. We had some kids who had like a pet imaginary dinosaur and uh, made like I forgot what is Google Plus. Google Plus made a Google Plus account for like, and it would just be like, "Hey, it's me and my dinosaur walking my dinosaur." So I thought you were gonna say it was an invisible dinosaur, but I'm glad you have a real dinosaur. <laughs> oh no, he's real. He's real. Uh, he does cost a lot to feed and uh, look after, so he's definitely real. <laughs> the bills are very real. Oh <laughs> yeah, that specialty pet fee. I don't know if you have um, pet insurance in Australia, but my cat insurance goes up every year, every year with her age. It's wild. Yeah. We're very lucky to have a specialty vet right near us that deals with reptiles, mm -hmm. uh, but they are so expensive. Diego had to have some blood work done recently and the bill was through the roof. So, yeah. Uh, cool. And was there anything in particular, because like your whole team kind of came out to ElixirConf and there were a few talks from folks from Alembic. Do we completely just pass over the pitch on what Alembic is? Or you said consultancy but and ash framework, but is there anything else you wanted to add to that? I want to make sure we give you a, a good spot to kind of talk about that. No, totally. So I think um, where Alembic is really shining right now is using the Elixir Phoenix Live View stack alongside Ash to develop working prototypes really, really rapidly with less developers is what we've noticed. So both of the projects I've been on, it's been me. So I was a junior on the last project. I got bumped up to not junior <laughs> for this project. Me and one other senior working together on two like greenfield projects and we've been able to scale really really rapidly using elixir and phoenix and ash in particular has allowed us to scaffold our resources in such a way that we can build rapidly and i, I sort of haven't seen such small teams in any other tech stack before so i think that's what's really setting us apart is the ability to move rapidly with smaller teams yeah i think that kind of comes up up here too because we are a fairly small team here at SmartLogic as well. And we really relish the ability to be able to like make decisions and move quickly when we need to and slow down when we need to as well. And yeah, that does seem to be a little bit of an Elixir superpower, huh? I feel like- That's definitely what I've noticed at the very least. Yeah, I don't remember what particular guest we had talked to. It might've been our guest from Duffel a few years ago, talking about integrating with travel data, airline flights, and, and maybe hotels, but I think it was just flights. And I had previously worked at a company that did that. And we had teams of five or six, we had maybe 30 engineers, 40 engineers, 
working on that kind of integration data. And it was just like a really big thing. And when we talked to the Duffel team, I don't remember a number, so I don't want to give you misinformation here, but I think it just gave me the vibe that it was a smaller team, like definitely not 30, 30, 40 engineers. And I was just thinking, wow, Elixir really made it so that they could do do it smaller, huh? Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. Like our entire company is 30 people. So <laughs> having a team that big, I it just, it doesn't even occur to me. And I think, you know, having those smaller teams, it gives you so much freedom, like you're saying, to make decisions or do things on the fly that maybe you couldn't do with 30, 40 people. I also appreciate like the opportunities and whatnot, like presenting stuff, because um, I feel like we are a small team of engineers, but like it doesn't <laughs> like like similar to what you said, like a team of like 30 or 40. I couldn't imagine like doing the same thing as efficiently. And like for me as like a junior, like I feel like it's easier for me to pick up like little tidbits and like knowledge than if I was in a room with 40 other people at cubicles or, you know, all working on one project. It also makes it easier to kind of see the whole picture. At least I'm speaking to my job as a as a manager as well, like an engineering manager, to help people who aren't understanding some concepts or I like can recognize, hey, you know, you said you were interested in this two months ago and we have an opportunity for you to work on that now. Would you like to give that a shot? And maybe that is just a nature of being observant or a nature of me having written it down. But also I, I feel like at a smaller company, you can make those connections better and really help raise up your juniors. Not to say that a junior engineer doesn't thrive or survive at a big a big company. I know it's definitely comes down to preference, but Elixir is kind of niche. And so I don't know when you're in a niche environment, sometimes I think a smaller company kind of makes it a little easier, but we've got some mammoths on the horizon too. So you know, maybe we should do a, a small company versus big company off. I don't know. Bring on some other folks from some of the big ones we know about. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. I'd love to see like a hackathon between like a small Elixir team and maybe a larger JavaScript team or something like that and see what they produce in X amount of days. Could be interesting. Sounds like a very heated. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say them's fighting words. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I mean, hey, I'll, I'll put my hand up for anything. <laughs> I feel like the JavaScript people would just be like, why would we even walk into this? We're more popular than you. We don't have to do this. even though it, it, For some reason, it makes me think of um, Pitch Perfect. I don't know if either of you watched the movie. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, the main character always refers to her herself as like, I'm a very small human. Like I'm like a little fairy or something. And she's always like, you know that she's she's the best. You know it, but everyone always kind of treats her and her team like she's not going to do well. I I'm not saying that people treat Elixirists like that, but it's interesting because every once in a while you kind of hear in the industry like, oh, right, those niche coders over there. And they just sort of like say that and kind of move on. It's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in the Gleam Discord and someone shared a tweet the other day that said, Elixir programmers are the vegans of programming. <laughs> and everyone was simultaneously tickled, but slightly offended, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an interesting time. Do you have a favorite thing about Elixir in terms of like, like when, you're, when you were onboarding and you were just like, oh my God, I love pattern matching or oh my God, I love pipes. Was there anything like that? Yeah, I was very much like that with pattern matching. 
it was just such a nice way to keep your functions clean. I'm very like, I really like beautiful code in the sense that I like clean code that is simple to read and communicates clearly. And that's something that I've kind of brought with me as I've gotten more and more experienced because I find working on bigger and bigger code bases, it's such a valuable skill to have. And also the pipe operator, because again, it's keeping those functions so much cleaner and tighter. I was demonstrating to a mentee that I have how the pipe operator can help you get rid of some of these really obtuse function calls. And she was like, oh my God, my mind is blown. So yeah, anything that keeps your functions clean and readable and friendly for the other developers on your team, I'm a huge fan of. Cool. Speaking of being a huge fan, we said we were going to open with this. We didn't. I know I'm really painting myself on this podcast as being a humongous Pokemon fan, but I just have to let all of our listeners and our co-host who's not with us right now, Owen, know that Theo is wearing a Pikachu shirt right now. It's fantastic. It was a Christmas gift. Uh, I'm a big fan of Pokemon as well. It's probably my all-time favorite franchise, I would say. So you are a true fan, and I am like a referential fan. (laughs) I did. I think I did actually grow up having a Pikachu plushie toy most of my life. That is fair. I think that was real. But yeah, it comes up on this podcast a lot. And I'm just, I'm Owen, I'm going to, for you who's listening right now, I'm just going to rehash this. Kirby is not the same thing as Jigglypuff. It's not. <laughs> I'm shook. I'm shook that anyone could uh, could confuse the two. No, they're both good boys, but they're not the same. There was a photo that Owen posted. It just killed me. It was like the one where the Kirby is like jumping up in the air and then the Jigglypuff is jumping up in the air, but the Jigglypuff has a swirl. And the, the tweet was like, okay, so the difference is one has a swirl. And I just absolutely lost my mind. (laughs) All right. I'm so glad we got that out of the way. Had to mention it while we're talking about our favorite things, the things that we're we're in tune with and uh, obsessed with maybe. Theo, is there anything else that you just like want to shout out or plug? Any tips or tricks you want to throw out there or anything or anyone you want to shout out? Yeah. I mean, I guess shout out to Alembic for putting up with me and helping me grow into the not junior I am today, I really appreciate it. As intense as the onboarding experience was that I've spoken about, you know, it was invaluable in kind of teaching me something really, really rapidly. So huge shout out to them and also to Zach for maintaining the Ash framework and working with us developers at Alembic to address our pain points as quickly as possible. We adore him for that. Awesome. We've already talked about your Twitter handle, so we're kind of good to go on where people can find you. Are there any projects that you would like to shout out that need some support? Oh, um, at the moment, people should definitely go check out Ash if they aren't familiar with it. I think a lot of people can get a lot out of Ash and the Discord community. Go join there. Everyone in that server is super helpful and ready to jump in and give you a hand getting started. So yeah, that would probably be my recommendation for anyone interested in kind of architecting their applications in a slightly different way. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So that is it for today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guest Theo Harris for joining us. I'm Sunday Mient and my co-host is Bilal Hankins. Elixir Wizards is brought to you by SmartLogic with production support from Hangar Studios. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up. 
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And see you next week for more on parsing the particulars. Bye.